Thank you for returning to the Sacred Birth Circle. Today's guest will be discussing many different things in the birth world that we think will help prepare you for your journey. Please share this on social media so that others can also be informed. We know it's a difficult time to be pregnant, so make sure that you take notes and start to build your support network now. Enjoy this discussion. Welcome to the Sacred Birth Circle. I'm Anna Vey. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I'm just really excited because my guest today is somebody who I can talk to for a long time, and I'm sure you guys will all enjoy this conversation. It's going to be very informative, and also in the terms of what you'll learn, I don't even really know how to preface it because every time I hear Rachel speak, she teaches me so much new information. I know she has great history lessons as far as um, birth equity and equities, really, um, and what has gone on in the past, but also currents. You know, what are people facing right now if you're pregnant? So I'll let Rachel introduce herself and her organization, and then we'll have a conversation. And our goal, most of all, is to prepare you if you're currently pregnant to set up that system that you're going to need of support because you shouldn't go into this alone, especially right now with everything that we're dealing with. So Rachel. Hi, um, my name is Rachel Nix. Um, I'm a proud Oaklander. I was born and raised in Oakland, um, but I'm both. I'm also very much a New Yorker. I've spent half my life here now as well. Um, And I, a little bit of like how I got here, I was a busy kid and I'm still a busy adult. (laughs) And I moved to New York to go to Juilliard. So I'm an actor. I am a trainer, founding trainer at MIR, the in-home fitness technology. I'm a doula, lactation counselor, mother of two little boys, and I founded my nonprofit Birth Queen to combat the Black maternal health crisis when my sons were three and six months. And the reason being, I was pregnant in 2020 when Black men were being hunted for sport, essentially. Um, And we were in the middle of a pandemic and a political crisis and racism was just like, constant and the idea of bringing another black son into this world was horrifying and everyone including myself was blaming my anxiety I had anxiety attacks every day of my third trimester and I couldn't sleep and I can everybody that knows me knows I go 100 and then I crash in like 20 seconds (laughs) I never had a problem sleeping and I realized okay this is not my pregnancy this is racism that's keeping me up at night. Um, And so I believe that the artist in me was trying to solve that and heal that trauma for me. And I had a vision of collecting black birth stories that was super vivid. It was September of 2020, fast forward to March. um, The right encouraging conversations made me um, take the leap of faith to found a nonprofit. So the mission essentially, um, you know, we're young but mighty. And my goal is to make sure that Black birthing people have education and resources and support in terms of midwives, doulas, lactation, and to fund enough trainings and put more Black birth workers into the field because we know when Black women support Black women, there's positive outcomes. Um, So that's a little bit of like how I got here. I just felt like I also had a 10-year career in the junior league and learned a lot about nonprofits and philanthropy. And those kind of lessons aren't just like uh, common knowledge. And so I felt like with my unique skill set and my privilege, honestly, it was my responsibility and my choice to affect as much change as I can um, in the maternal health space. 
you just gave me chills telling that like I didn't actually know that's why you really got into it and I remember you know like you said with the males being hunted like those terms that you used it was like what I felt too during that time and I have family members who are darker skinned so for me it was terrifying and I could just imagine being a mother in that situation like I cried so much and it was like that will never be my children you know they're never going to feel that thankfully because they're white you know so I'm not scared for my kids and I can't imagine being a mom like in that situation and going into the pregnancy too yeah Um, and I know like you've talked before that you feel like you're lighter skinned so maybe you don't feel as targeted but also you know your background and everything um but you've heard obviously so many stories yeah so I, I, the way I put it, and that's what you're referencing is I'm very aware of my packaging and with my packaging comes privilege. And so not only do I have privilege because I attend in Juilliard, I'm at like a, you know, company that's owned by Lululemon and, you know, I have access in that regard. I also specialize in pre and postnatal fitness, but I have a lot of resources and seats at tables. You know, I never was the girl, I'm an Oakland girl through and through. So I'm not big on like, I know this person and I know that person, but I do know people that can affect change. And so what, what it is was for me, I'm never going to pick up the phone just to benefit myself. But if I'm picking up the phone and putting a full court press on people that can protect people's lives and empower people and more specifically mothers, I'm absolutely here for that. Um, And the work that I'm doing is also, you know, we don't think about how many now black dads are single fathers as a result of this crisis. And the assumption is that black men don't take care of their kids. And that's actually not true. In a lot of these instances, you have hospitals making these fathers take DNA tests before allowing them to take their children home. The level of racism is just so it's just outrageous. It's really incomprehensible. The stuff that they, that this country puts black people through on every level, like you wouldn't even think of denying a father who is at the birth of his child, not to let him take his child home. Like what, how is that a thing? So, um, I absolutely um, am invested in making sure that black fathers are empowered too to thrive um, as well. So yeah, I mean, we hear so many stories of that and, you know, the fact that women are dying at birth is just horrible. I mean, and we're talking about more often for Black females, but of course it's happening in our country overall, like worse than every other country. So right. I, that's something that we both share is like, let's just not say it's a Black issue because it is, it's more, but also everyone else needs to be aware and fighting for it. So I don't, you know, think that we should all just like wait around and let, you know, the black maternal health crisis is all of our crisis. So, and it's affecting everyone, not just the black families, of course, more so. And we know why with the racism and everything not being heard and not being listened to. Um, You're talking about somebody bleeding out in a hospital and things like that. You're just like, how is that happening? You know, you're hearing her complain and her partner or her husband is sitting there saying the same and they're just not being listened to right that's horrific and what would you say it's important another reason why I was drawn to um doing this is because as a doula I was the support for many white families with PPOs in fancy New York City hospitals who were also treated piss poor 
you know? So I'm going, all right, if they're well-to-do, educated, privileged, and white, and not even getting the dignity to be listened to or looked at outside of the, you know, basically a lot of scenarios, doctors and nurses just walk into a, a, a laboring woman, woman's room and look at machinery and a clipboard. They don't take her in. And that is problematic because there is no baby without a mama. It's mm. like real simple, it's not complicated. <laughs> and so the fact that we no longer center a mother in the birth experience is completely backwards. And so for me, what I need any birthing person entering this to really be clear about is not the checklist of all the things, is you're at the helm. So I decided to name my nonprofit birth queen. And I, it's not plural. I hear it as a mantra because I want women to say that to themselves and really believe that you're the queen. You are at the helm. Nothing is possible without you. It doesn't matter how many degrees someone has or a white coat or scrubs or clipboards or machinery. You are the center of the experience. And so you also have a right to say your energy, your vibe, your whatever is not working for me. You absolutely have the right in a hospital setting to say, I need to work with someone else. I don't feel heard. I don't feel respected. Um, tools when and if you ever feel that way are saying, I'm sorry, what's your name? If you say request a test and they don't give it to you, can you note that in my chart? Those are big red flags to hospital staff that you know your rights. And they don't really mess with people who know their rights because they don't want to get sued. So unfortunately, you have to be prepared to advocate for yourself, but it is what it is. I was just talking to my friend who does all the marketing for Birth Queen. She just had another C-section that she didn't want, but that she heard on the table that the, the OB said, I see that she possibly has fibroids. And so she said, um, I would like to get a sonogram to look at that. And she's like, you're fine. You don't need that. And she's like, well, I heard you say that I might have fibroids. So I actually would like an examination to make sure I'm okay. So it's this dismissal, this not listening to this assumption that I know better because I'm a doctor. It's just, you live in your body. And so for me, I need you to just always stay in your power and know the history of women giving birth. It's not scary, right? Women didn't die at like extreme rates. They are now in a developed country. Like our numbers are on par with like developing countries, our, our mortality rate across the board for all women. It's unacceptable. For Black women, it's in New York, eight to 12 times the rate as white women in New York City. And the why is racism. They know that immigrant women who give birth and may not survive don't have voting power. So it's that fucked up, okay, that you knowingly are making choices to not give funding and support to a hospital, knowing that women and babies are going to die and you're fine with that to pocket money. Yeah, there's a lot of deserts too for maternity care. So, oh yeah, patient, you know, and it's definitely in areas where let's say there's more Medicaid patients. So they're not making as much 
So to have the staff there, you know, constantly, I was reading an article about it today and it's like, okay, well, there's evidential facts right there that it's all about money, of course, with our- Yeah, they cut the, exactly. Yeah. And it is and a for-profit system. Yes. So the business of being born, the, the Ricky Lake documentary that she made, shoot, now probably like 20 years ago or more, <laughs> I don't even want to know, but it exposes- the history of obstetrics. And I go deeper than that. You all women need to understand that white men were like, wow, I can make a lot of money catching babies. Okay. Not that there was a true need. So they created obstetrics. That's when they started putting women in wards. They didn't know to wash their hands yet. They didn't adopt the techniques of midwives to palpate, to listen to a woman. Many times they're delivering with a sheet, you know, they're not even looking at her. So women died in the hands, at the hands of white men who didn't know what they were doing. Then, so there's that. Then you have, you know, Dr. Marion Sims who practiced on slaves, the, the, the cesarean section without anesthesia majority, if not all of them were first raped because the census shows us that all of those babies majority were of mixed race. And you know, slaves weren't having consensual sex with white men, that was not a thing. Um, and so many of those black women survived. And so he deduced that black women do not feel pain at the same rate as white women. And so it holds true today. Many studies have shown that. And the example I say, I take it out of birth. I have a very successful friend who's an attorney who hurt her ankle. She lives in Manhattan. She wears thousand dollar plus shoes. And she's like, I can't walk in my heels. Something's wrong with my ankle. She had to go to four doctors with a PPO lots of cash in the bank and very expensive shoes before they were like, oh, something's wrong with your ankle. Let me help you find the solution. They all dismissed her. Now, luckily it was just her ankle. So imagine if you feel like something's awry after you give birth and then you hemorrhage and then you die because no one listened to you because they're like, you got it. You're fine. You're a strong black woman not acceptable. So when you, when you hear the black maternal health crisis, women are dying because of racism, it's a hard pill to swallow. Trust me, I'm a black woman and I'm like, that can't happen to me. Yes, it can. The other huge thing, and then we can move into like how you're empowered in you know, pregnancy and birth and even conception and infertility and all of that is that, you know, we like to make it a those people issue and it's not a those people issue. If you're a black woman that's a multimillionaire doctor or you're an immigrant that's 20 and unwed, you have the same chances. Now, if you're an immigrant, poor, unwed, your chances of dying are far higher um, because you're not respected because of those things. Many black women are asked if they're married when they're in labor. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Who even wears their wedding ring when they go into labor? No, you're swollen. Not a good idea. Never have that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no, what? So let me wear all my jewels so you know I'm valuable to try to save my life. No. Um, I mean, it, it happens. Literally, I just was a doula of friends. He's double Harvard. And when the anesthesiologist who's Black Harvard grad walked into the room and knew him, the entire room shifted and we got better care because they were like, oh, he went to Harvard. Does that matter? Why does that matter? Shouldn't, but it does. So, um, 
but yeah, so that's like kind of buttoning up the black maternal health crisis, um, like how we got there. And I just think it's important, um, for you to like, be able to understand and then understand how important it is to get us out and how long that stuff has been baked into our system. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there's so many tools to stay educated and empowered and have a, a beautiful birth experience and pregnancy. Cause I'm passionate about that too, as, um, like a fitness professional understanding how to move your body safely and successfully prenatally and postpartum, um, breastfeeding. I'm passionate about all the things, which is why Anna was like, we could talk a long time. <laughs> through all of them. But I do think the very important thing is to have somebody who can help you advocate, perhaps yeah. like you are going in through a birth in the hospital, um, like doulas for sure. And, you know, if you can go through midwifery, you know, there are some licensed places. What would you suggest for that portion of it? Because I think people focus so much on like all the beautiful things and the baby shower and everything. And it's like, yeah. how about we need some money for the doula. Like, let's make right. for that, you know? So I suggest register for all of your care. Like your baby doesn't need a thousand dollar stroller unless maybe you live in New York and like that's your car. <laughs> then you should invest in a nice stroller because you're schlepping your groceries and all the things through snow and sleet and rain and all the things. But we very are, we're very hyper-focused on stuff for a baby. A baby when born needs a diaper and a boob. And if you choose not to breastfeed, a bottle and a diaper and cuddles. Like they need their mama and that's it and a diaper. And a lot of places don't even use diapers, right? So it's very little that they need in the beginning. Mom needs a lot. She also needs a diaper, right? Um, she needs to understand her pelvic floor, understanding how to do Kegels, understand if you have ab separation called diastasis recti, how to prevent it getting worse postpartum, how to bring it back together, um, to have support to have people that are coming to cook or clean for you, to care for you so you can care for your baby. That's a huge suggestion of mine, um, especially for like your mom to maybe stay out of some fights or whatever disagreements. Say, mom, I would love for you to come take care of me and I'll take care of my baby because you may choose to do different things for your baby than she did for you. And that is okay. Um, and I would suggest everyone have a doula, everyone. If you could have a birth doula and a postpartum doula, fantastic, but absolutely a birth doula. Doulas are not just for the birthing person. They're absolutely there also to support your partner and to have your, to help your partner support you. Um, they don't take the place of a partner. I know that's a concern of a lot of partners. That's not the case. Um, and, and the partner needs a break, you know, like I've had a 33 hour labor and a 56 hour labor partner needs a nap, a meal, right. And mom shouldn't just be left by herself. The other thing, if most of us birth in a hospital setting, you have to understand that people that work at a hospital are at work. So they take breaks, they have shift changes. That means the energy of your labor experience is going to ebb and flow every time there's a shift change. We get very hyper-focused on like finding our doctor. Well, your doctor may be on vacation when you get, give birth or off, and then there's someone else there. But also know that your doctor is not there for all of that labor. They're there to what we call as birth workers, catch your baby. So they come in and out and kind of check you, your, you know, to see your dilation. And then they're there for the main event, which is pushing your baby out. 
they're not there to help support you all of those hours or a few hours for you lucky few, like five hour laborers. Um, <laughs> that was not my experience. Um, so yes, and so the doula is really important. And then the other thing, a doula is there for you. That doula is not going to other people, anybody else. That doula stays with you through your pregnancy if you hire usually her during your pregnancy, your birth. And then she comes at least for one visit postpartum. Um, and then sometimes birth doulas or postpartum doulas, or you can hire a postpartum doula, which I would say is someone that comes to hold the baby so you can take a nap or cook some meals and do some laundry for you and talk you through breastfeeding and healing and all of those things. Um, I, to, to understand the difference between OB and midwife and obstetrician is a surgeon. So we've all watched a, enough Grey's Anatomy to know that surgeons are very confident cutting. That's what they do. That's their strong suit. So like if you have an emergency, like a brain tuber, you're going to go to a neurologist to cut your head open and fix your brain, right? That makes sense. Now, if you're a healthy woman desiring a vaginal birth and you go to a surgeon that's been trained in an emergency situation, their strengths are not a vaginal birth. Their strength is cutting. So we're kind of like going to a Chinese restaurant expecting Indian or Italian or like oysters. It's like, it's something different. It's a restaurant, like, you know, but it's not the, the same cuisine. And so a midwife, the only thing a midwife doesn't do is cut, but they palpate, they understand. Even your care is very different with a midwife. And I think that's misunderstood too. People are like, I have to like give birth in the woods and they're not gonna give me prenatal care. Yes, they do. They give you more prenatal care. Every visit is an hour. They're asking you about your mental health, your emotional health, your partner, your work, everything. So they're often able to see if something's arrived far sooner, they also touch your body with their hands, not just machinery. Um, they measure you versus just use a, you know, an ultrasound to take a picture. So a, a big problem in our community is low birth weight, our baby not growing. They pick up on that stuff a lot. It's not, it doesn't fall through their cracks. Oftentimes it falls through the cracks of OBs, um, because they just don't have the same tools. And this is not at all to say OBs are bad, it's to say what their strengths are. And so in a perfect world, you would have everyone, I would say four because of lactation, you would have a, a midwife, a doula, an OB if there's an emergency, and a lactation consultant to support and really encourage the breastfeeding journey and help you if that doesn't work and or you choose something else. Yeah, what you were just talking about, you don't know who your doctor's going to be. I remember yeah. with my pregnancy where I had a loss that they had talked me into the idea that it didn't matter who I saw at every appointment because it was like those HMO plan ones where you see the whole group really. So you walk in and they, you know, it's more for their scheduling convenience than for you because, you know, I would have preferred to have one doctor and get to know them and see like who was going to deliver my son and everything. But they were like, oh, no, we can't tell you who will be delivering. So go ahead and make your appointments with whoever, how your schedule works. And that way you'll know the person when he walks in to deliver. Right. So I'm like, OK, that kind of makes sense because I've already had a baby and I was like a low risk pregnancy. I really didn't think I needed a specialty care or anything. 
Well, come to find out that that's actually a leading cause of a lot of stillbirths too, is inconsistency of care because they miss things like you come in and you see a different doctor and you're talking to them about how you feel and they may not remember you said that last time and you know maybe it makes it in the notes but they're not like so concerned because they're not like oh you're still feeling faint okay let me check on that right so um, I felt like that was a big mistake for me like I fell through the cracks with all these different doctors that barely looked at the test like you mentioned ran their little test on you know look at the heartbeat okay the baby's okay you're okay but at the end of the day, I don't think anyone knew me or my baby at all. And I really feel bad. I felt like they knew so much, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I did meet the team, but like the team was three women, not six or whatever. Um, but literally every single visit. So in the inverse, like I did meet everyone, but I had a lot of repeat of, of them and they spent an hour. I think this is an important point though. Like you need to make yourself known. Like I probably came in and just like, oh, check this. Okay, I feel fine. I, you know, and I let myself be another number instead of coming in like you probably like, I'm Rachel Nix. And no, so like, it was the inverse, bro. I'd be like, oh my God, like, why are we still here? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And they're like, no, how, how are things with the dad? Housework? How is it? What are you feeling about this? What are you eating? How are you like we they just made me sit there because you know I'm like on fast forward. I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think it's does, a good point though for any mother, like don't let them just push you through like enough. No, yeah, like, enjoy talking about it. And I think too, our society does not honor mothers properly. And so oftentimes, especially your first trimester, there are days you can forget you're pregnant because you're going through the motions and going from here to here to here to here to here. And I remember I made like a very um, clear decision to take my time. It sounds silly, but to walk up the stairs from the subway and to walk down the stairs. So my mom was always like terrified I was going to trip and fall down the subway stairs. So she's like, hold on. And this is pre-COVID. So I but I still thought it was dirty. So I would always just kind of like hover my hand like down the rail just in case I tripped. Um, and especially eventually you can't see your feet or whatever. So she always was like, please take your time going down the stairs. And then I just remember coming up the stairs. I was so winded and exhausted. And then I'd be, I'd literally, I'm like kind of embarrassed to say I taught 20 classes a week when I was pregnant with Samuel until I was 39 weeks. And not at Mir, like no one be mad at Mir. They didn't make me do that. <laughs> um, with Mir, I taught like nine a week with Bulba, um, till I was 39 weeks. But I was so winded, and I, I remember at first feeling bad because you know, you know, people are like, Oh my god, hurry up. And I'm like, I'm pregnant, I'm tired, I'm heavy, like I'm going to take my time up the stairs. It's okay. So it sounds maybe trite, but take your time. You're pregnant. That is a huge deal. There was actually this hilarious video that's like going viral. This mom is 39 weeks and her son, who's like eight, 10, was making fun of her. Like, oh my God, mom, like, why is it taking you so long to get up the stairs? So she like saran wrapped, I don't know if it was like a watermelon or something to his belly. And she's like, go run up the stairs. Now go lay down. Now go get out of the bed. Now go clean up these toys. And he's like, oh no, this is so heavy and so hard. And I was dying laughing because when you're in it, you forget how important the work you're doing is. Like you're creating a whole human, like an entire human being. Yeah. 
it's a lot of work. And then you're also probably cooking, cleaning, working, taking possibly care of another kid or their daddy or your mom. Like my girlfriend, you know, her mom is terminally ill. So she's taking care of her mother pregnant with a toddler. It's a lot. And so I want women to realize that goes back to your power. It is okay to sit down. Please sit down. Postpartum, do not jump back up and be cooking and cleaning and taking care of everybody. They need to take care of you because you still need to heal for a long time. Six weeks also, please understand, is all by design by the patriarchy. That has everything to do with you being cleared for a penis to enter your vagina again. That's all that rule is. You can tell yourself when you would like a penis to enter your vagina. Like that can be six weeks or that can be 36 weeks. I don't know, that's up to you. But as as we see in the world, a lot of these men would not like us to be able to make that own decision for ourselves. They would like to make it for us, but mm-hmm. it's your choice. Yeah, um, your points are so valid, especially about the pregnancy. Like when you're feeling a change of your body and people are telling you, oh, that's normal or, oh, it's because right. that's your second child. And that's, well, my second one was different this way or that way. Just don't listen to anybody else but yourself because your intuition in those moments are on point and now you know, say in my story, yeah. I'm really weak. And I was just thinking to myself, well, it must be because I have another child and I'm running around with her and the doctor's saying it's normal, you know, and I just really wish that I had someone tell me this. So just make sure you trust yourself and give yourself like her, she's saying, you know, the time and whatever care you need. No, so, totally. You know, your kick County, which I'll always plug, count the kicks app, get the app and sit there on your third trimester. And you deserve that time anyways to relax. But you know, you know, you need to be doing that every day once you reach uh, 28 weeks. So you get to know your baby's movements by sitting and kick counting and doing that sort of thing and trusting yourself. And the position, like if you, cause there's optimal fetal positioning for birth, right? Baby head down their eyes, these eyes facing your spine. If you're in tune with your body, you can go to your checkup and say like, not only am I feeling movement, but I know baby's head down on the feet are here because I feel feet kicking me on the top and hands punching me in the back, right? And then say, even when you're in labor, you can maybe feel if baby turns or whatever, like their butt was in the front. Now it's on the side, which affects your dilation, your pushing, all of these things. So they don't know all of that. And, and this is something that's really important too. Do not over-rely on sonograms. My mom was like very kind of, <laughs> serious not kind of serious about this she was like when you when I had you they didn't have all that crap like just you know like they have blood tests you know what you're feeling like don't always rely on those those tests and she's she's right because you know she has her reasoning but the facts are the further along you are so the larger your baby is the the less amount of liquid in in you know your sack and so it's less accurate And so when you get these sonograms like late in the game, um, outside of seeing a position of a baby, the size, the measuring that they they do is super inaccurate. I've had so many women who've been told your baby is too big to have a vaginal birth, which is, it's not a thing. That's like not a thing. um, I will break down what is a thing, but you having a baby that's too big. And then here's the deal. 99% of the time that they say you have a 10 pound baby, those people have six pound babies. I am 
the size I am, okay? And I've had two, eight, four, eight, four babies, 21 inches, okay? Out of my vagina and I didn't tear. And I know a lot of people who've had 10 pound babies didn't tear, not a problem. Big women, short women, tall women doesn't like, so eradicate this notion that your baby's too big or that if you're a big person, like, no. What is true is if you go into your birth experience terrified, if you're not centered and supported, you don't dilate. So then you need interventions. You need Pitocin, which is synthetic oxytocin to make your contraction stronger to hopefully open you. But your body is connected. Your mind and your body are connected. You need to feel safe to have a baby. As I say, a dog will not give birth in the middle of Fifth Avenue or Rodeo Drive. That dog knows this is not a safe place to give birth. So now we put women in a hospital that other dying people go to. So let's start there. You enter a place that people go when they're sick. So you go to have your baby and you think something is wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. You're actually magically healthy enough to create a whole nother person. So that's number one. Number two, you got a bunch of people, strangers in and out, not honoring you, not centering you, not empowering you. So you're like, I don't know. They're looking at the computer. They're looking at the clipboard. They're not looking at me. I guess I don't know what I'm doing. You do know what you're doing because guess what? No matter how many things are strapped to your belly, you know you're having a contraction before that damn machine. You know you have pressure and you're ready to push before the machine. You do. You do. I promise you. You don't need to have had 25 babies to be like, I'm ready to push. The body knows, the mind knows. It's a thing. But what's happened in order to make money is to make us feel like we don't know shit and we're broken. And then we're like, I can't do this. I'm scared. Medicine, cha-ching, money. More medicine, cha-ching, money. Oh, you're afraid your baby might have a birth defect. Let's do another sonogram. Check money, check money. Oh, you didn't dilate. We have to cut you open. Oh, 60 to $80,000 now that we've made. And instead of paying eight grand to a midwife. And insurance companies are telling me when I'm calling like, so are you going to cover my entire midwife? And they're like, we have to see what the going rate of birth is on the market before we decide what we're going to cover. And I said, but if I have an emergency C-section for 60 or $80,000, you're going to cover that. So I'm confused. Yeah. Insurance is a big part of the problem because they won't cover things that you might need. Like, I mean, I'm actually for some of the interventions that probably you aren't like having more testing. Cause you know, I had things overlooked in my pregnancy. So for me, it's like a, an extra scan in the third trimester would have maybe seen something like we know a lot of uh, families who had cord accidents and they are just terrified of another pregnancy and they want these cord checked. Like they want to see where is the cord and is it wrapped a certain way? And is the flow working, you know, all that stuff, which to us makes sense. We're like, Hey, if you would have done that for the last one, maybe you would have caught it and you would have actually done the intervention that you needed to do. It's, you know, you notice that there was a problem, but right. insurance won't cover certain things yet like that. So it's like, we're fighting for the opposite battle on that end where we're like, can we get the care to actually foresee issues? And so that then OBs who do this, you know, surgery, like you're talking about, can do that when they need to. And then on the other end, yeah, for the lower risk situations, which, you know, we all start out very low risk to begin with, but I do feel like we're slipping through the cracks with this low risk level of care, which is basically giving us less care each visit, you know, the quick checks and 
like everything's good with this one she's healthy come on next one you know so mm -hmm. I think there should be definitely a discussion of like how can we change this we need to totally revamp the system is what it seems like and I know that's partly what you're working on your end yeah it's it's just it, it, it so much of it you know to honor what you're saying because the testing thing yes it's a yes and because every woman I know that had an OB experience was stressed out their entire pregnancy because of the amount of testing. So it's what are you testing for? The way a midwife put it to me is, I will give you every single test you ever desire. Are you going to terminate if you find out that A through Z is a possibility? Because there's also things like that happen at birth or mental issues, schizophrenia, that you will never know about, right? So we, the thing about this magical process of pregnancy and birth is like, we can't control every aspect. What I'm very interested in is really moving mom back to the center. Because if we're connected to our bodies, if we're educated about what we should expect and feel and like, all of these things then, and then if people listen to us and then we do some necessary testing, absolutely, we're fixing a lot, a lot, right? Healing, empowering, so we can thrive. Um, and so that to me is the shift. If, if I had to say it in one sentence, center and listen to mom. Mm -hmm. and so a lot has been said. So if you watch this, you're going to be like, holy mackerels, get a doula. Ideally, my personal and professional opinion, work with a midwife unless you're high risk. And um, it doesn't mean you have to have a home birth. It doesn't mean you can still be in a hospital setting. But if you understand that the body needs to be safe to fully dilate, to have a med unmedicated birth, the word natural is overused um, and can be... Um, damaging, I believe, because every birth is a birth, no matter how it, how it ends. Um, so yeah, but, um, there's a lot of things, but I, I think also once you have your baby, not worrying too much, you touched on this and I, I want to cover it. Uh, a lot of people like to volunteer negative stories and their story, right? Their story is not your story. And every one of your pregnancies and births will be different, just like your children. They're not going to be the same and which is a magical thing. And so be careful of that, like receiving all of the bad. Oh my God. I, was, and I hated breastfeeding and I was so hard and I was so scared. It sucked. And so then all you're thinking and associating this beautiful journey with is fear and negativity because that is really going to affect your baby in utero and your birth and whether or not the chemical imbalances occur for you to fall on the spectrum of PMADS, which is a spectrum of, you know, mental anxiety disorders, anywhere from baby blues to psychosis. Okay. Which will then also affect your feeding journey because stress, if you feel empowered, if you feel calm, you create milk. It's, it is all so, if I boil it down, it's simple. I didn't say it was easy, right? But we're also expecting things that we've never done or learned about to be easy. And that is problematic. 
getting pregnant. Okay. Sperm and egg. We know like how most of us like penis, vagina, got it. Like kind of simple, but it's like a million, you know, one in a million chance for the sperm and egg to me, like kind of magical, not so easy. Um, and then in a black and brown community, we've always been judged that we just are baby makers. So in our minds, if we have to take a couple months to get pregnant or a year, or we need any kind of support, we feel like we're broken. And if our men find, uh, many of the men are even just afraid to test to see if it's them. Women are not the only people that are infertile. Oftentimes it's the man, right? And so working through that as a culture and a society to be open to realize that race is a social construct and that infertility affects everyone. Um, that's like a huge passion of mine because I, I think it's a loud secret. Also miscarriage, you know, the more and more we need to talk about stillborns, but any, any, you know, infant loss is not, I don't believe like shared enough. Like I had a miscarriage and went right back to work and was like, hi, <laughs> hi everyone. I just flushed my baby down the toilet. Let's do a workout. And then in retrospect, I'm like, um, uh, I probably should have taken some time to process that I lost a child. I lost a child early in my journey, but I lost my baby. Then I lost my hair. So every time I washed my hair, I relived my miscarriage in a bathroom stall at a mall. It's traumatizing. Um, you know, and thank God in my experience, I was already a mom. So that helped me stay a little bit more calm through the experience, but um, just know that your experience is like val valuable and important, whether it's challenging or, or you try once and you're pregnant and have a perfect birth experience. But every story is important. Every birthing person is important and deserves to be supported. And if any of these supports are too expensive, try to register for them. Also, Tell your doula, like, I really click with you, but I can't afford it. Is there something we can do to barter or to trade? Like, maybe you're a massage therapist and she's a doula, or maybe you're a chef and she's a doula. Like, there are things that can be worked out. And I don't know many doulas that would flat out be like, nah, I'm not going to help you at all. Um, that's not how we're wired. Same with lactation. Um, so don't you, don't let money stop you um, from getting support. That's like, that. That's yeah, since it's breastfeeding awareness week, that's a good topic that you're mentioning. Um, of course, anyone can feed their baby however they can and want to, but I went to like a group which was free. It was like at a mall. I mean, and even that helped, you know, it was like come in with your baby and see all these moms doing it. And I was at first like, oh my gosh, how are they doing it? Like I feel such a failure, you know, I can't latch properly. It hurts so much, you know. And I was like crying all the time, like, how am I not doing this? Like it should be natural, right? Like I just posted about that because I felt like that is what you feel as a mom. You're like, I am just not doing this. And I don't know what's wrong with me, but your baby is also new to it. And so you both, both have never done it. Yeah. So it's like, I need some tips here, you know? So they really do help you like just kind of positioning how you should sit, you know, like don't lean into it so much. Like if you're tensed up, like you're necessarily intuitive, right? It's, yeah. and you're nervous. And the other thing is you're tired. Like it's like, well, you're sure because you know, like my baby wasn't gaining weight. So I was yeah. like, needs to my baby needs to gain weight so 
I was just like, oh my gosh, if I don't get her to feed soon, I'm going to have to switch to formula, which, you know, that's fine if that's what you end up doing, but I didn't want to do. So I was like trying so hard, you know, and I was like, no, you know, she's not gaining enough. And they make you terrified of that every time you check in, you know, and see your baby's not at the weight. That's another thing I want people to know. Those um, charts are based on white formula fed babies. So if you're breastfeeding, like your baby's not going to gain at the same rate. Um, So that's, that's important. Like any chart doesn't cover everyone's story. So don't get too crazy alarmed because at the end of the day, like, you know, if your baby's happy, they have like signs that we call rooting signs. When they show you they're hungry, they start like looking and yung, 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 and their fists are tight. And then they scream at you because they're like, I'm hungry. I'm hangry. We've all been there. Right. Then when they're satiated, everything about their body softens, just like as I say, when you get the itis, like you're full, you're ready for a nap, you sit on the couch and watch some TV, that they're going to show you those same signs. So I want people to remember like, wait, I eat. I know what it feels like when it looks like when I'm hungry. So I'm going to be able to identify that in my baby. And just like speaking of babies, <laughs> he's like trying to find me. I'm like, I gotta be quiet. <laughs> he's like, so, and yeah. And the other thing with that, I think you mentioned that when you do feed with, um, formula your baby's not as hungry uh, as often and for longer periods so like the sleep cycle might be different even like a breastfed baby pretty much doesn't sleep so prepare for that (laughs) And, and I think what's important that's an important thing to talk about that I think is sensitive but if you want to sleep through the night or you need to because of life circumstances um like my girlfriend's mother is you know she's taking care of her mom who's terminally ill. She has a baby and another baby and a job and it's a pandemic. Like to to be at the beck and call of her infant was nearly impossible. So she needed the support of formula and that's okay. That's okay. But what happens is I think a lot of us are like, oh, I didn't make enough because we don't want anyone to judge our choice. So it also is important to know that if you don't frequently feed, you won't have enough. If you sleep through the night, you're not going to have enough milk for your baby because your baby needs to eat in the beginning, like every hour, every two hours, some days, every 15 minutes. That's just what's going on. And so it is absolutely a sacrifice. And that is why I want you to understand that when you have a baby, you're not done. Not only are you healing, you're keeping that baby alive with your body. So you need to eat, you need to rest, you need to hydrate and lay down. It's not time to start working out. You are working to make milk to feed your baby. Your pelvic floor is healing. Your uterus is shrinking. You Mentally and emotionally and hormonally, you're making huge shifts. Um, the dynamic of your relationship, or if you don't have a partner, if you have other kids in their adjustment period, it's a lot happening. So the last thing you need to be doing is trying to jump back into your normal, regular scheduled programming. No, 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 no. That is where we go very wrong because women feel overstressed and burdened with too many things. So then if you're stressed, you're not going to produce milk. And then every time, the other big thing that I didn't realize- You have to go back to work too, right? Most people. Yeah, and the idea of pumping and freezing milk and like all of these things, it's just nauseating. And the big thing um, that I want women to know is Get a, get a carrier, okay? Especially if you're, this is your uh, second or third baby, so you can interact with your others and you can be hands-free. So when they're super tiny, they're literally like, you know, not the structured carrier yet because they're so small and floppy, but like a 
you know, like you would see as a woman in Africa that uses a sheet and like wraps the baby around, typically they use their back. But here, a lot of our wraps, like Solly Baby or something like that, just to name a brand so you understand, it's so soft and it also feels nice on your tummy because you're still, you know, your uterus is still um, enlarged. And if you've had a C-section, you don't have that structured like Velcro or belting and all of that sitting on you. Um, and it's, it's amazing because you have skin to skin. So even if you bottle feed skin to skin regulates the baby's temperature, it regulates their heart rate is calming for you. It's calming for them. They sleep like a baby because guess what? They are in this little scrunched up position, the way they were inside of you and they feel safe to throw them in some large crib or bassinet in a quiet room. They're like, where am I? Like they're terrified because they're used to the sounds of your belly. So that's the other thing with skin to skin. They hear your heart, they hear your breathing, they hear your talking and movement that really comforts them. And the other key to baby wearing is your partner or whomever comes to support you can wear the baby and baby can be very happy. So if people come and feel defeated to try to support you and baby's crying, put them in a carrier and they'll be much happier. Um, I also, just with my lactation hat on, I'm not a big pacifier person as you're learning to breastfeed because there's what we call nipple confusion. And so a baby can kind of like suck at the end of, of a bottle and at the end and gnaw of a pacifier. So if they then come back with that shallow latch to your nipple, it's excruciating and it's not effective nursing. What happens is that you need a baby to like pretty much cover your entire areola. Some of you are like, my areolas are too big. So maybe not your entire areola, but essentially that's the goal for them to get as much breast in their mouth as possible to clear all of your ducts because you have ducts everywhere. And so an inefficient latch leads then to clogged ducts, which then can lead to mastitis and all of these things. But again, like we're saying, breastfeeding is natural, but it's not intuitive. Like, why? Yeah. Are you and so I ran into a lot of those problems where you're just like, yeah, that happened to be because, you know, then it starts to be painful on one side and then you're like going more to the other side, which is a horrible thing to do because then you have more milk on that one and then the other one's still suffering, you know, so you're That's like, like those pictures were like one bruises like this and the other bruises that. Well, like it is not easy, but I did go like over a year with my daughter and a year with my son. So I was like able to, you know, at some point figure it out. What's it was, it was like great, you know, because you could do it anywhere you go and, you know, so healthy. And I hated pumping for sure. Whenever I could avoid it, I'm like, mom, bring my baby to work because I don't want to. Yeah, I just I call it pop a boob and feed a baby. If anyone is uncomfortable with you breastfeeding, they can avert their gaze or exit your home. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my daughter had the wraps, you know, because those were so popular. She's almost 11 now. And my son, like he did not like being covered. And it was in the summer too. So I'm like, I can't do that. I, yeah, I don't care. I'm like, everyone has nipples. When you're hungry, you don't put a sheet over your head to eat. It's stupid. Now, if you feel more comfortable doing that, do yeah. you, okay? But society has put this on us that it's gross or sexual. No, what? I am feeding my baby. If you think that's gross or sexual, you're weird. Not me, not my baby. And so I'm really huge on that. I will. I fed my boys anywhere, anytime. Their, their security, their comfort, and their satiety came first. Not your comfort. That's, that's good that you thought that way. I think with my first, I was more like, 
nervous of it and like I'd go into changing rooms like at Nordstrom's and stuff like that <laughs> and then my next one I'm like forget about this you know yeah well that's when those yeah. those carriers are great too like you can learn to like loosen them just enough so you can nurse while while you do it and having a second it came in handy because if my toddler wanted to have attention and time like I was hands-free um but my baby Baldwin like he really taught me a lesson when I tried to multitask and like cook something real quick and breastfeed him and like hold him with one arm he would be like uh-uh go sit down <laughs> do not start grabbing me all tight to try to multitask mommy I'm not here for the multitasking breastfeeding sit down and it was so funny I was like okay that and is it a good point though because you have to let down and so if you're tense and you're like busy or something you may not even be letting out as much milk yeah, and he was really serious about that, but it was magical because he made me stop. And that was like our experience. And so I think the other thing I want to say is I would say the first two weeks of your breastfeeding journey are going to be rocky. Like, I, I mean, this is, you know, Rachel's raw explanation, but it's kind of like, you know, masturbating with no lube. Like the, it, there's no milk, like white milk yet. It's colostrum. That's the other thing, you know, it's a number of things, but we expect a bunch of white milk to be there immediately. That's not the case. So you, your baby is not hungry. They don't need formula. They need your colostrum, which is clear. You can barely see it. Um, their tummies are so tiny. Like they can't handle like a cup full of milk. I remember even when I got my dog 14 years ago, she was seven weeks old or something. And I was trying to like feed her a bowl of food. And I was like, why is she not eating? And then I realized like, the bowl is probably bigger than her whole body. Like, So it's the same thing. We get really worried about that. I really encourage you like not to try to pump and measure and then feed. Please, your baby is more efficient than a pump will ever be. Um, also, the most important but least intuitive frequency over duration. So a 30-minute breastfeeding session or pump being session is not as effective to increase supply as frequently breastfeeding or frequently pumping. Yes. Yeah. And that's what's so annoying, I think, for the parent, especially if you don't have like so much time. You're like, oh gosh, I just need to feed my child quickly, you know? So it is hard on a mom, especially if you're a working mother and you're just like worried about them getting a certain amount, you know? But yeah. And that's kind of want a snack, you know? They just like, yeah, the work thing is huge. If you can have your baby sometimes come to work. Um, the other thing, do not ask permission. Tell people what you need. Demand it. You can do it nicely or not. Like, it's not like, is it okay if I, no. Yeah, I, I don't have to research it, but I think a lot of places have laws. Like, they have to give you a space, even if you're not like a management level, like, I actually use someone's office because my management level didn't give me a door still with like a thing that locked, you know, so I still had to go to someone else's office, but I think anyone can actually say that. Like, I don't think legally you can deny someone the space to nurse if they're coming back to work. Oh, yeah. Hi. Say hi. <laughs> so, um, they were like, we've been gone for 55 minutes <laughs> and we can go forever, but I think we're good to end. And if there's any final thoughts, feel free to share and anything that you're working on. I know you have some secrets still, so we'll have some announcements. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have to definitely stay tuned in the spring. Birth Queen's going to have some really exciting announcements. Um, I'm going to be partnering with someone to make some magic happen for mamas. 
And other than that, I am always a DM away or an email. Please follow at birthqueen.org on Instagram. My personal one is Rachel E. Nix. I mean it when I say slide into my DMs, send me an email, rachel at birthqueen.org. If you are part of a program, you know, and you need my support, whether it's fitness, doula, lactation, if you're just a mom who's like stressed and needs somebody to talk to at three in the morning, slide in my DMs, I get it. Um, never do this journey alone. Um, know that you're a queen and that a queen, right? She got a lot of people to make her able to sit at the top and you know she delegates she receives support she doesn't do it all and so that's really important that we as mothers learn that we're not meant to do it all that's not what to me how god designed it to be i think um, when you had mothers prior to us that like to appear a certain way like they handle it all, and they're like the strong woman that did it all and then when it's your turn you're like Oh no, like it's a lot harder than I thought because they didn't talk about it back then, you know? And it right. Was, well, they also, if when we're talking about, they didn't do it all. They didn't work. They didn't also do everything. So th there's only so many hours in the day. And I would say for working women and even moms that don't like get a paycheck because moms that stay at home also fill their schedule crazy with like PTA and volunteering and sorry, team mom and all this stuff. You don't have to do everything. And especially if we don't like get paid every month or twice a month, we feel like we don't deserve self-care. So I'm a huge proponent of self-care and it doesn't mean it's expensive. If you can't afford to get a mani-pedi, give yourself one, right? Your children are watching you. Your boys are watching you. Your girls are watching you. And I, I think it's almost sometimes more important that you're, we're raising our boys right? To, to understand that it's important that mommy has her time. Mommy works out. Mommy goes to the spa. Mommy gets her nails done. Their mommy's self-care is a priority in our home. And I have two sons. Like literally my son will notice if I have new growth or I'm missing a broken nail or something. He's like, mom, it's time. <laughs> so yes. So and to that end, this is the reality, right? Like I have a nonprofit. I have all these jobs and I have two kids and it's not always quiet and it's not always neat. And I have help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we all have to drop the shame like that. If we oh, yeah. help that there's something wrong with us. Like I don't, I don't deal in mommy guilt and help is, I love help yeah. and I, and we should all have it. However form it comes. If it's a grandma, if it's a girlfriend, if it's a neighbor, if it's a nanny, whatever it is, like yeah. do it <laughs> i think i mean like you said we're we're the queen of the household we're the ones that the reason it's all going somewhere you know so if we're not happy and healthy then that's really going to affect the entire nucleus like you can't just have a mom who's just suffering and toiling away by herself and then everyone's gonna be happy either you know it's gonna come out that negative energy and everything so i think it's okay take your time for yourself and come back to your kids and they'll see the difference too you know they'll be like oh, yeah and i think <laughs> i literally think this will be my last thing remember that my mom always taught me the morning always comes so she taught me that the morning always comes her mother taught her no woman got an award for a clean house and 
she also taught me is your body and it's your baby. And only, you know, what's best for your body and baby, not even your partner, just you. And so really staying again in your power, in your queen. Um, yeah. So those, those would, I think be my closings and, and remember, and this, this last thing, I promise, I promise every bad moment doesn't have to last the whole day. And every bad day doesn't mean every day is bad. Do you know what I mean? So like, if you're in that tough moment, acknowledge it, have kind of like, I do these things where I have like an out-of-body experience, especially with two, the first time having two and they're both screaming for you. And you're like, you have to choose kind of triage like who's most important right <laughs> usually the newborn who like can't hold their head up you kind of got to help them first um and then the other it's you know the other one the bigger one has to learn but it's also the airplane analogy right you got to have oxygen first before you save anybody and so we as women and mothers you know we really have to understand that being the sacrificial lamb doesn't benefit anybody Mm -hmm. No, so I'm done. We could do this more and more and more. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do another one. I love having you on here. And this is also a new platform for me. So I'm excited to reach more families as well with this one because yes, I'm, I'm so all excited. over my organizations, my charities, but I wanted one where it would be more my baby, you know, where I could talk about things that I'm interested in. And, you know, when I invited you, I was like, you know what? I know we come from a different space. I've never actually had a natural birth because I couldn't in all the situations I've been in. And I've never gotten the joy of having a doula, you know, like I've yeah. been denied a lot of the things you speak of, but when you talk about it and like, you know what, this will be really helpful for someone pregnant now, especially like we were talking earlier on with environments and how many losses there are right now. Not only for me, it's stillbirth. I'm so focused on ending stillbirth that there's maternal mortality rates that are so high. And yeah. of course you would be a little bit nervous going into birth right now. So you should have people that are like, no, I've gone through many, many births supporting, you know, look at their references and see what you can do for research, you know, to make sure you're the right person. But I think nothing right now is easy, of course. I mean, everyone's having a hard time, but being a mother going into this, you shouldn't do it alone for sure. So I Yeah, agree. and not to leave being informed doesn't mean to be afraid. You're you're absolutely going to have more fear or trauma if you don't educate yourself and empower yourself. Birth is not heart surgery, right? You're not under, you're an active participant. So you cannot go in blindly. That is not it because the baby isn't going to happen without you. So you need to learn. It doesn't matter like what the stroller is and the outfits are going to be. It matters that you know what's happening to your body and you can stay in your power that matters. And I think a lot of times as a result of our fear, we ignore the birth and we're like, my baby's a strawberry and a pineapple. And this is the outfit they're coming home in. And I'm like, well, how are they going to get home? <laughs> like, we, we can't skip that. Yeah. Thing. That's why I, I call yeah. mine beyond the pregnancy guide because everything I read in pregnancy books didn't prepare me for what actually happened to me in my pregnancies. Yeah. So I feel like that's, what's missing is the reality, which I love about your page too. Cause I'm like, yeah, we need to hear the stories whatever they are, you know, I don't censor anything. Someone wants to share, you know, like you said earlier, trauma, it's not going to rub off on you if someone had a loss, but it will tell you, okay, if I start to feel like a really bad pain, I'm going to speak up about that because that could be an abruption, you know, and don't be like naive, like, oh, I'm just going to assume that everything's good or, you know, assume that my doctor did the test. No, I'm going to go back in there and say, did you really check my blood pressure? Like, I'm feeling so faint, like whatever it is, just keep going in there. You deserve it 
they're you're the one that's paying them right so they're working for you no matter what and they are professionals so use them for what they are you know their expertise and then use others that you need for more support so absolutely thank you so much Rachel I'm gonna let you go so you can be mom over there full time oh, I know. I'm like I don't know what's happening behind me <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys Rachel. so much. And I'll t- we'll, we'll definitely chat soon. That I know. Everyone take care. Bye. Bye. I'm so thankful we got to speak with Rachel today. And I'm very excited to hear what's next for Birth Queen. Please make sure you're following them as well on social media. I know both of our circles will continue to expand and help families. Remember to share this episode on social media so you can help others in your circle grow their knowledge and have a better birth outcome. Remember that all the posts that we share and our episodes are not meant to be medical advice. We are simply trying to help you and inform you as you continue your pregnancy. But always remember that you should consult your provider if you have any questions or concerns. They're there to help you and they are available to you 24-7, even if you have to go into the hospital or ER. Again, follow us on social media to continue up to date with our next episodes and our posts. And feel free to connect with us in the DMs. If you have any questions, we would be happy to be there for you. You are not alone. This is your community. And we hope that you will continue to watch our future and past episodes to continue to add to your knowledge as we interview birth workers, providers, researchers, and even people who have experienced different births so that when you get to your birth, you'll be a little bit more informed and prepared for whatever comes your way. Goodbye for now.